0: Hello! It's Kerry and Rachel! Rachel! What are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to Dirty vegetables, vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world,
0: exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables!
1: Vegetables! Vegetables. Welcome along to another episode of Dirty Vegetables. This episode is titled "Milk My Almonds, Baby." So, in this episode, um, we will be talking about the controversies surrounding the harvesting of fruits and veggies that cause damage to animals. So, we're going to cover the following points: the droughts in California, is almond milk causing devastation and other events, speciesism, and is harvesting humane, and how to eat most ethically and the question that we're primarily focusing on is can anyone really consider themselves vegan? But before we dive in,
0: Kerry, how are you? Hello! <laughs> yes, Um, I'm doing grand although there is a lot of technical issues going on with the podcast which um has taken us quite a while hasn't it Rachel? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Every problem that could go wrong has went wrong but I will not let that make me believe that this podcast shouldn't be happening because it has to happen (laughs) it has to yeah I feel the same way yeah otherwise I'm doing good I've got there's nobody in the house today there's no babies or anything I don't know where anyone is and I've just been working all day in a cafe there's this amazing cafe in Portobello called Mm Tanafiki I've been in it like every single day (laughs) working there I find it so hard to work in the house like I can't I don't know what it is. I just feel too distracted or that I shouldn't be working here. Like this is the place to relax and not work. So I go out and spend money on coffee like every single day at Tanafiki. Very nice. I I relate to that. I like to like separate my
1: space. I can't really do that at the moment living in a van. But when I used to like live in apartments and things, I, I really struggled to do any work or studying at home. I prefer to, like, have different areas for different activities. Yeah. So
0: I get that. I would be going to that cafe too. Yeah, it's, it's so nice as well. Coffee's unreal. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. I'm still recovering from the festival. It was a week of partying hard and my body took a massive toll. And I think I might be getting a little bit too old for that life now, which is hard to admit, but it's true. <laughs> um, so I'm slowly but surely recovering but i'm doing all right i turned a corner today the last couple days have been grim and technical issues have been a theme of this week not just with the podcast but also with the van we use remote wi-fi that uses like um just a sim card that you would put in your phone and it uses the 4g network for wi-fi and normally it works a charm but ever since croatia we've just been having glitch after glitch after glitch after glitch Um, And it's been problematic for my boyfriend who's had two weeks off work and he's just back and he can't even do a video call without it like crashing. So yes, it's been quite stressful but the, the light is at the end of the tunnel and definitely by the end of this week we should have a new SIM card and everything should be fine and hopefully I will feel like a fully functioning human again. And I won't be sleeping for like 15 hours a day anymore. So <laughs> it's looking
0: up. I mean, that sounds like the dream. <laughs> it's it's so weird because I never thought I would get old, too old to do anything. I always thought I'd be a wee party animal. Like, you know what I was like at uni? Yeah. I, all the time. And I just thought that was always going to be me. But I can't I can't hack it. I simply can't hack it. And uh, yeah, same, same. But I'm glad you're recovering. Thank God for that. And with the technical thing, like it's it just seems like not very much to ask that Wi-Fi works. <laughs> it just like seems like such. Yeah, it's like a um a basic right to have Wi-Fi nowadays. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I think they're actually I think that might yeah. actually be worked into like the UN rights is like a right to con- connectivity. Yeah. Am I making that up?
1: I mean, I I have never heard that before, but it would make sense. Like we're in the twenty first century now, and like everything is uses some form of automation or technology, so we need to be able to connect. But have you heard of? Um, I think it's called Skylink, uh, and I I'm pretty sure it's called Skylink, and it's a new thing that Elon Musk has created, and it's satellite Wi Fi. Oh yes, like. Octavian is dying for us to get that for the van. It costs 700 euros to get it set up. But once you've got it set up, you just connect via satellite dishes and they've got full coverage, like the whole of Europe, the whole of the UK, America. I'm not not sure about other countries yet, but you can just, you can get like good signal pretty much anywhere because it's not relying on telephone towers anymore or fiber optic or whatever. It's dependent on satellite. Um, So... Mm. That's the future of Wi-Fi. This this will no longer be a problem anymore. <laughs> I think he features the, feels is the same Way I think Elon's like this shouldn't be a thing where people can't get connection. It be like, irrespective of where you are. You should be able to find a satellite within like some sort of radius. Which do you know what? Yeah.
0: Maybe that'll be an upgrade to the van. Maybe tofu the van. Sounds like a good one. I think so. Like for for anyone listening. So when me and Rachel were trying to connect. I was literally up the garden with my phone in the air, (laughs) which just took me back to like 2004 when we got our first phones that didn't even have cameras on them and you were up the garden like trying to get signal. That's what it was like. Like, what's going on? I know. What is going on? Okay, so before we get into the main part of the podcast, we're going to talk about the dirty ingredient of the week, which is an ingredient that me and Rachel can't live without or is really important to a vegan diet so today you know in the past we've done quite a few obscure ingredients maybe but this one we're going to go for the humble mushroom mm. love a mushroom and the reason why that we've chose the mushroom today is because we're talking a lot about sustainability of different vegetables and actually mushrooms are considered one of the most sustainable vegetables out there now it's actually a fungus which you may know where they originate so mushrooms there's a few different sources say different things how long they've been about they say they've been about for about 800 million years but were cultivated in china japan mostly shiitake mushrooms but they moved to europe in the 1600s and there's such a wide variety of mushrooms delicious hallucinogenic (laughs) deadly Um, So there's a lot of variety of mushrooms out there and they're considered the most meaty of all the vegetables and the most sustainable of all because they require very little water and energy than other crops do and they emit much less carbon and they require less land as well. They can be stacked vertically when they're being grown and there's also a lot of them that just grow wild. So most common uses, I mean, everyone knows the mushroom and what it's used for, but there's actually some words I found out when I was researching this. There's the word mycophile and mycophobe. So there's people who love mushrooms, me and Rachel, and people who hate mushrooms, other people who are weirdos, but they're used in so many different dishes. Obviously, you know, they're in soups, stews, stir fries, et cetera, et cetera. And how we use them? Well, I put mushrooms in like pretty much anything. (laughs) Stir fries. I I love them in like a a spag ball. And recently on one of our previous episodes, I talked about getting shiitake mushrooms and these are unreal. They're freshly grown. I don't like the dried ones, but if they're chopped up, fried in a pan with some oil and make them super crispy, they're super like meaty. Have you ever tried those, Rachel? Are you saying
1: shiitake mushrooms
0: yeah have you tried shiitake mushrooms yeah yeah
1: i have tried shiitake mushrooms um i'm trying to think i feel like there is a dish that i used to eat them in a lot Ah. Uh... I think there was this dish that my mum used to make growing up, it wasn't vegan but you could easily vegan fi- veganify it now and she would do like mixed mushrooms but there was loads of shiitake in there for sure because I remember reading the package in the supermarket and me and my brother finding it hilarious that it said shit on it. Um, <laughs> so I remember that. Um, and she would just like, she would cook them in butter a load of herbs and then add like cream cheese at the end and then like eat it on toast and it was so yummy but you could easily veganify Mm -hmm. that now um in fact I think I'm gonna try that but in terms of mushrooms my recent kind of discovery and love is dried porcini mushrooms they're really common here and well not here anymore they're really common in Italy and they put a lot of like cured porcini mushrooms where they've been like preserved in oil on pizza but i do this like gravy um with like you put a bunch of dried porcini mushrooms in it with like onion garlic loads and loads of herbs soy sauce loads of stuff of stock and then you like blend it all up and it creates this like really rich nutty earthy loveliness which is so good on mashed potato
0: mm, That sounds that's unreal.
1: my Mushroom fave at the moment porcini look out for it in the supermarket. You can get little packets of them
0: dried so I have a Odd relationship with dried mushrooms, so I used to buy them. I bought them a few times at the Chinese supermarket So there's shiitake mushrooms and you can get like wood ear mushrooms. They're called or I think there's another name for them like black fungus mushrooms so I bought them for a recipe last year do you remember I was doing like the recipes of the world and I was trying to make things from different countries and one of the things I made was it's called moringa from Myanmar I believe moringa? That doesn't sound right I made a dish from Myanmar and we used these wood ear mushrooms from, from the Chinese supermarket and they come obviously dried and they're quite small and in the recipe it said use like three or four of them so I put like quite a few of them in to water to rehydrate them and when I took the lid off they had grown (laughs) so much like I'm talking like 10 times the size of when I put them in and they freaked me out (laughs) they looked like actual sea creatures in my kitchen in a bowl it was really weird and then we cut them up and we put them in the dish and we made the dish and it was like it was okay but and I sort of I Fought through it and I ate the whole thing, but then after all, I could think of was those big mushrooms crawling about in the kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> and it made my hands feel so. I don't know why my. Do you know why I'm I actually doing why my hands? Because when they expanded, they looked like the shape of the top of your hand minus your fingers, so like that kind of round almost. Like the shape of a duck's foot <laughs> which is the same shape as like the top of your hand anyway my hands felt weird for days afterwards so I just wouldn't buy those again they freak me out and there's a really different texture from dried mushrooms and rehydrating them and normal mushrooms I don't know if this is the same with the porcini ones because they're quite tiny right no, porcini mushrooms are huge,
1: like proper big oh, toadstool mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, and you can get you can get them fresh. Um, <laughs> toadstool. <tail. laughs> what did I say? <laughs> toadstool. <tail. laughs> Yeah, they're massive when they're fresh, and they cost a fortune. Like, like really, like absurdly expensive. So I think that's why you mostly buy them dried, because then they chop them up and dehydrate them. You can get more, more. So, so you rehydrate them, do you? Yeah, um, yeah, mostly in like water or in oil do they expand not like your ones do certainly not <laughs> but i would think i Honestly, would enjoy that... that i find like fungus no.
0: fascinating especially not with the shock of it all like i was not expecting it to grow that much <laughs> i think it would grow like a wee bit maybe like a centimeter or two but it was it took over the whole bowl like that's crazy yeah oh my god never again but tim would make a lot of soups and he would use those i think it's the is it the wood ear one no it's shiitake mushrooms but they're dried and he would slice them up quite small after rehydrating them and they're not as bad they don't freak me out as much but the woodier ones are very flat <laughs> it's a no for me but normal mushrooms I love a wee a wee button mushroom yeah. <laughs> chestnut mushroom yeah big big fan oyster mushrooms as yeah. well they're great oh yes and portobello mushrooms yeah also great actually i think the ones that my friend got me were actually oyster mushrooms there were oyster mushrooms anyway so where to find mushrooms i mean anywhere but you can get the weird dried ones in the chinese supermarket i think i just used them wrong <laughs> i think it's just the, the shock of it all it was also during lockdown so anything was shocking at that point <laughs> nutritionally mushrooms are so good for you they're really rich in b vitamins which are really great for brain function and protein as well and they're actually the only vegan, non-fortified source of vitamin D. So I, I notice that a lot, especially the chestnut mushroom. It says a really high source of vitamin D. So good for the winter when it's uh, raining outside and there's no sun.
1: Yeah, very true. And also in terms of where to find them, we should just do like a little nod to foraging. And people often go foraging for mushrooms. Obviously, you need to understand them properly because if you pick the wrong, the wrong one, you could die or trip like, out, crazily, Um, so, like, know your stuff. Accidentally. (laughs) Yeah. But that reminds me, one. there was actually a school, I think it was Port Mook. there was this tiny little primary school um, near the town that I grew up in, and there was this story that the kids kept on coming in behaving really strange after their break, and it turned out that there was this massive patch of magic mushrooms growing that the kids had been picking and eating, and they were, like, high. the thing is a teacher told us this story it was a supply teacher and it was when we were in like one of the last years of primary schools i guess we were a little bit older and more mature i don't know and she told us the story about what happened in this other school so it makes me think it's legit but i don't know surely not and then she was like they had to get rid of all the mushrooms and it was this big scandal
0: hilarious surely that would be i feel like i need to look that up because if you think about it right when we were younger, we used to just trust everything a teacher said. And then you realise when you grow up to our age that teachers are just us. Yeah. They're us. <laughs> and there's some weirdos out there and there's probably some compulsive liars. So they can be teachers yeah, too. they could have easily lied about <laughs> that for sure because it's a compelling story. But that's
1: hilarious if that's true. The UK. Like, the UK. Well, actually, is it? The, the, U- <laughs> the UK in general is like an absolute like hub for magic mushrooms, like in Wales and... In Ireland Ar- and in Ireland and yeah, in Edinburgh there's loads of them. There was this Irish guy. I'm pretty sure he was the Republic. I don't think he was Northern. That was uh he was a guest at um, Ibiza Yoga when I was volunteering there, and he was talking about how you there'd be fields and you would just get like arms and arms and arms full of them, and people came from all around the world to like pick these mushrooms. And that's the same in Wales as well, apparently. So the point of the matter is you can forage for mushrooms, but you need to know your stuff. And I remember there was like a group that went out like foraging on that documentary, Fantastic Fungi, Absolute Essential Watch on Netflix. It's it's brilliant. Um, And they go foraging and hiking and talking about mushrooms together. And I would love to do that. I would definitely partake in that expedition. So would I. We'll talk a little bit more about
0: foraging later. Segway. okay so the first point we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk a little bit about almonds so first things first is it almonds or is it almonds (laughs) that's my first question (laughs) do you pronounce the l yeah for sure almond yeah a lot of people don't so controversy let us know what you think but yes we're going to talk about almonds and there's a bit of a controversy going on it's been going on for many many years about almonds and a lot of people are saying are they really vegan I know that good old Piers Morgan has spoken out about this a lot um, including avocados and other fruits and vegetables so basically first of all almonds about 80% of them come from California which is a lot you know a massive amount come from California so what what people say the problem is about almonds is the pollination of them So people say almonds aren't vegan because they're pollinated by bees, but the bees actually don't live in California itself. So instead they're transported from all different parts of America. I'm talking millions and millions of bees from different colonies across the whole country are transported in vans, trucks. So the real question is, is this a detriment to the bees? So obviously if they're traveling that many miles, there's a lot of problems that happen. They get killed. This is called managed pollination. And it it isn't just with almonds, it's with loads of different things like avocados, like I said before, and butternut squash. There's loads of different fruits and vegetables that use this method. So obviously transporting bees on this scale, it's quite inhumane for a few different reasons. So first first of all, it increases diseases between the bee colonies via CCD. So this is colony collapse disorder. So essentially... The bees will all come from different colonies all across of America, they'll come to this one place in California and they'll all mix and mingle while they're there, spreading diseases between different colonies. So then when the bees are taken back to their home, they bring diseases that they wouldn't normally get in that part of the country. So that's the first problem. And obviously coming from different countries, there'd be a lot of bees that could die on the way as well. And also it's just inhumane trapping them in a small van for such a long period of time and bringing them to somewhere that um, is not where they're meant to be, as well as that they're just pollinating one type of flower the entire time. So it's just the almond plant for however long it takes, I don't know, weeks, months. And that is not what a normal bee would do in its day-to-day life. As well as this, they have a very low quality diet when they're being transported, so they're fed sugar syrup and they're not allowed to just roam naturally as they would in the wild.
1: I think it's important here just to like say why bees are so important, like they are one of the major pollinators on earth um, and they're responsible for pollinating the diverse ecosystem that we have here or what little of it we have left. And they don't just pollinate almonds, they also pollinate um, a lot of the fruits and veggies that we eat too. So they're very, very important for plant health and wildlife and the sustainability of a healthy ecosystem. So that's why we don't want to harm bees. And having these kind of like essentially factory farmed bees where they're getting like. Uh, produced en masse and then travelled around to do kind of artificial pollination the problem with this is that they're driving out a lot of the wild bees in the areas that operate in the areas that these new bees are getting taken to and then the the um, numbers of wild bees are dying out because of this And if this trend continues where we're getting fewer and fewer wild bees, that because they're getting pushed away from these other herds of bees getting brought in and also because factory farming in general is really harmful for the environment, which is also killing a lot of the bees off, this could mean that nutritious crops such as fruits, nuts and many vegetables will be substituted increasingly by staple crops like rice, corn and potatoes, eventually resulting in an imbalanced diet. Um, I got that from the FAO. So it's kind of major, the impact that bees have in our life. And I think Piers, you mentioned Piers before, I've seen him kind of like mocking vegans before for like why they care yeah, about really... bees. And it's really frustrating because if there was no bees, there's no Earth. There's literally no planet mm-hmm. Earth. The The ecosystem would just collapse. Bees are more important than we are, essentially. So they are. we should respect them and we should be putting a lot of effort into keeping wild um, populations high.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, Piers Morgan just loves to start a controversy. Anyway, talking more about the almonds in California. So first problem is the bees. There's a big problem with that. But also further to this, California suffered major droughts in recent years. And the big problem that's linked to the almonds is that they require a lot of water are therefore said to be contributing to the droughts. So the almond tree takes about five years to grow and seven years to yield a full harvest. However, many people are debunking this and saying that almond trees actually don't use any more water than other agricultural crops. And there's actually a really good return on the amount of money received for the weight of almonds that are sold. Further to this, there's actually a secondary market with almonds. So the hulls and the shells are used in animal feed and farm bedding and material and cosmetics. So it's not just the nut that's used and the rest is all thrown away. So you do get a lot from the almond tree. And there's also new technologies coming out such as micro irrigation, which is diminishing the amount of water needed to grow the crop. So it's basically the plants are getting water from under the ground rather than above the ground, which diminishes the amount of water that they need in total. So I guess this brings the question about Rachel, are almonds vegan? What do you think? Um, yeah, I would, I th- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good answer, okay, moving on.
0: <laughs>
1: I think they probably are vegan. Like they're as vegan as any other fruit and vegetable could be. Like we, it's inevitable that we're gonna include the use of some animals at some point, some insects and other animals are going to be involved in the production and um, I don't think it's really possible to be completely separate from these kind of natural systems in order to produce food Um, so I think it is vegan but like almonds in general because I learned about this, I learned a lot about this through the book Pharmageddon and he speaks to industry experts in California and stuff and these bee companies and it really goes into it in a lot of details so I recommend that book if you guys want to learn more about um, what goes on with california on almonds but also all industrial farming methods in general it's a good one as i learned more about it i did i did find that my consumer choices changed and before i would only ever buy almond milk now i've switched to oat so it has had an impact on me and i may i see almonds more as like a treat because i'm aware that there's a lot going into it but i don't think i would say that they're not vegan just because like other like bees can be harmed in the process and and stuff you know ideally it'd be wonderful if i could just have a lovely like little almond tree that's growing in my garden that i can pick almonds from but until that day (laughs) i think i think they are probably
0: vegan what do you think we almond tree in the van um yeah (laughs) i i mean technically they're vegan and we'll get into this in the next section about what can you really constitute as vegan if you take into account everything that's ever happened to that vegetable (laughs) or the process through it there's actually a website called (laughs) www.almondsonotvegan.com this is like a legit website so people are very passionate about this but actually since I've learned about this I have been eating a lot less almonds as well to be fair I, I was never that into almond milk that much I think it's too thin it's not very thick you know what I mean so I was never a big almond milk gal, so that wasn't hard to give up. But I do notice when I, every time I eat almonds or almond butter, which I love almond butter, by the way, a bit of sourdough on real, I always think about it. <laughs> it's the same with like anything when you're going vegan and you start to think about the things and it's really hard to get out of your head. But I think it's really important to talk about and sort of understand it a bit yeah. better and maybe do cut down on it a bit, but I don't think... It's something that you should completely eradicate if you love almonds. So just another controversial food, which is something I found really interesting and I wanted to bring up in the podcast, is the fig. So figs actually grow in an inverted flower and so they can't actually be pollinated by bees or wind blowing their seeds about or anything like that. So basically a female wasp, when she has her eggs, she will crawl inside a fig flower and lay her eggs. And then after she's laid her eggs she will actually inevitably die because that's what they do. They lay their eggs, they die and she'll die in the fig. So the fig will then digest the wasp and the new little baby wasps will crawl out of the figs and carry the pollen with them. So they transport the pollen after just as soon as they're born. This is called a mutualistic relationship. So the fig completely relies on the wasp to carry about uh, the pollen and the wasp completely relies on the fig to its eggs within the fig now a lot of vegans say figs aren't vegan because the wasps are dying in it and so every time you eat a fig you're inevitably eating the remains of a wasp <laughs> i thought i find this really quite funny because i think that's ridiculous to say that because it's actually if anything <laughs> the wasp the actual fig is providing the perfect environment for the wasp so how can I not be vegan how do you feel about the the fig? Yeah. <laughs> the humble fig.
1: <laughs> no, I think I agree with you. That's that is I think you told me about that fact before, so it's not new information. But when you told me about it the first time, I found it quite shocking because I didn't know that, and I don't think many people would. It makes figs seem a <laughs> bit strange. But um I think it's fine. Like if the wasp is, has climbed in there of, of its own instinct and an accord, then I think that that's um totally fine and we're just respecting what's naturally going on in nature and I think that this is kind of like a an underlying argument a lot of vegans make is that the methods that we're using to produce meat and animal products are so far removed from nature, we're depriving the animals of anything that they would naturally do, any instincts they naturally have, like turkeys, I I must have mentioned this before but it gets me rivaled up, like we've genetically modified turkeys to the extent that they can no longer physically reproduce, like they can no longer physically have sex with each other their bodies are not capable of it, so they can only become pregnant through artificial insemination, so like we We've, we've like me- we've messed up with these animals so much and like if you're thinking about the billions of chickens that are in these factory farms and barns like they're um, they haven't got enough space to flap their win- wings or scourge about or peck or like um, try and build nests or t- try and build social relationships with any e- between one another so yeah I guess like that's a huge problem with the way that we're raising animals for meat is that the animals are have been deprived of their instincts and what make what they feel driven to do. And we're not depriving wasps of their instincts to climb inside that comfy,
0: warm, fruity fig. Yeah. So I'm all right with it. See you can still <laughs> eat your fig rolls. Although I don't know if they're vegan. I'm actually do you know what? I don't think I've ever had a fig. I have. They're just are popular that out there. in Europe, I'd say.
1: A lot, a lot of people eat them. Are they know. nice?
0: Yeah, yeah. I like them dried. That's my favourite method. <laughs> I may try a fig um, and I'll probably think about wasps the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next point we're going to talk about is speciesism. Hard word to say. And a little bit about harvesting. Is it humane? So a big argument that people often make against vegans is that being vegan kills more animals than not being vegan. Um, it's been brought up numerous times on different podcasts, specifically the Joe Rogan podcast. I can't stand his voice. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's came up with different people. A lot of the time, very unethically minded people, which you can tell from their histories. And a lot of people will be unquoting Unaccurate facts about how many animals are killed during harvesting. So basically the big combine harvesters go into the fields. People say they kill a lot of mice, birds, insects, lizards, small animals like that that might be within the crops at any time. And a lot of people would say this about, for example, soy. So there's obviously fields and fields of soy. They're getting harvested and people think soy equals vegan. So all those vegans are eating that tofu and look at all those little animals that they're killing. But a big problem with this argument is that actually a lot of that soy, very, very high percentage, which is like 75 percent. And this is just talking soy actually goes as animal feed to the animals that people are eating that aren't vegan and actually in fact there's only about six percent of the soy that is feeding humans
1: yeah and i think that that's the key point is like a matter of scale and um it might be unavoidable for us to kind of mass produce um fruits and vegetables and crops for human consumption without um harming animals maybe that's an unavoidable thing that happens. But when you consider the scale and the vast majority of our crops like soy and other thing, other grains that are used for animal feed... Um, we're still killing far more animals through eating meat than just eating the plants. If you're concerned about these small animals, then still the most ethical decision you can make is by going vegan because of the scale of the amount of fields that we would need to feed an entirely plant-based population would be far, 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 far less than the amount we have at the moment that we're cutting down rainforests in order to grow all these plants so that we can feed industrially reared animals and it's not just the crops it's also fish meal this is a huge industry that i learned about fairly recently where lots of like small fish like anchovies um, are getting taken out of the oceans and turned in factories into an oil which then gets turned into fish meal that's used to feed other animals and, and larger fish like salmon and tuna and stuff like that for human consumption. So think about all the destruction that's going on there and if we cut out that entire, if a lot less people were eating meat and fish then this whole fish meal industry wouldn't be happening anymore and that's obviously got a lot of negative side effects in terms of the byproducts are entirely are directly pumped back into the water which are very polluting and creating algae blooms and dead zones and oxygen um, depleted zones and also um we're, we're we're messing up with the ecosystem because we're taking too many of the small fish away and then it, it messes up with like the the middle fish and then the larger fish and what each um, animal in the ecosystem in the waters like that's all getting messed up this argument is really frustrating and it's one that's been directed at me before uh, my boyfriend's dad said that if I saw the way that tomatoes are harvested in Italy I would never eat a tomato again because a nod to all these little cute animals, furry animals that are getting killed and I think he was trying to make himself feel better because he had an entire deg- dead pig on a barbecue behind him but it's just, it just doesn't add up the argument doesn't add up and um, it, it it's quite a frustrating one. So next time, if you're a vegan and someone says that to you, talk to them about the scale of the matter and how, yeah, <laughs> like I said, a, a vegan diet, we're still harming far less than all the crops and fish that we're catching to feed the animals and fish that we're eating.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest differences is that if you're killing animals for meat or their juices that are inside them, And you're doing this intentionally, you know, you're, it's also a lot more suffering. So you're raising this animal from it's a calf or a chick or really like, I mean, cows are generally killed after about 18 months, but that's 18 months of constant suffering. You know, a lot of the time being kept in small, small spaces and obviously in the end being slaughtered. We know the problems with the milk industry. We've got an episode on cows if you want to learn more about that. But that's just intentional suffering. Whereas if you are harvesting a field of vegetables, that's unintentional and you're not harming them for a really, really long period of time. So I think there's a massive difference and it's not done out of malice. They're not doing it to kill the animals. Whereas to kill animals for meat, it's absolutely completely intentional and people are doing it knowing the suffering that they're causing. But another question is, Insects. So obviously, speciesism, if you're non-speciesist, you would believe that all animals are created equal, all beings are created equal. So therefore, everyone's on the same level. So what about insects? How do you feel about killing a fly or killing a wasp or a spider if you're scared of it? What do you think, Rachel? Yeah, this is something that for a
1: long time I didn't really It didn't really seem to bother my ethics too much like if there was a fly that kept on flying around my head I would quite happily kill it and a spider especially after I had a fiasco with a spider biting me in Italy and the horror of the state of my arm I think for a long time I was quite happy to kill any spider I saw because I think I thought I was protecting myself from another spider bite um, but now I feel kind of differently about it. I don't know. I, it does bother me. Mosquitoes, I'll never care. Like, they're horrible. I don't know why they're on Earth. Well, they're part of the ecosystem, that's why. But I, I, they love me too much and it's just too uncomfortable. So <laughs> mosquitoes be gone. But other insects, I find myself more and more trying to catch them and set them free. I feel like I just, like... I think because I've kind of delved into spirituality in general a lot more during my time traveling and understanding like this kind of life force that connects us all and oneness and i really feel like i've had some experiences where i've really tapped into that i feel now that even when i look at like a wasp or a bee i feel like there's part of my soul that is connecting to part of the bee and that might sound really woo woo and hippie to some people but i really genuinely feel that now in a way that i didn't think i really felt before and i feel like i'm killing part of myself if i kill that animal and it makes me feel far more comfortable allowing it to go on and live its life like the other day for example Uh, me and Octavian were driving in the van and a wasp was kind of like stuck to the windscreen it managed to get some of its feet stuck and we were driving and driving and driving and we, we couldn't stop thinking about this wasp and like the experience that that wasp must be having and we were going to pull over so we could help set it free but then it ended up getting free and, and driving off and we were both like visibly relieved that the wasp managed to kind of save itself and it was okay and it was just like quite like a awe oh! moment whereas like before that I wouldn't have thought about that I wouldn't have cared about the wasp whereas now I really truly did and I'm so happy that it was able to go on and live the rest of
0: its day like so yeah how do you feel about insects? Um, I've always felt I've never killed insects, like even flies. Like I remember I used to try and kill a fly, but I purposefully miss it because everyone else would be doing it. You know, like my mum had one of those, you know, it's like a tennis racket, but it has electric things on it. So you just electrocute the flies. Yeah. And I used to like go for it and like purposefully miss because I just felt really bad about it. And I think this is one of the reasons I knew I definitely couldn't kill an animal to eat because I I literally can't even kill a fly. I feel too guilty about it. But I've had those similar situations where I remember one time I was walking up the town and there was a snail crossing the path. And there's people everywhere and there was this little snail just going across. And I was like, oh, I have to get this lift this wee snail up and move him out of the way and tim was like no that he's chosen that journey he's decided to go on that journey across the path He can't change the course of his life Whoa. <laughs> i was like oh my god and the whole day i thought about that freaking snail yeah <laughs> i was like oh no what was on him stood on him like he was going really slowly but there was people everywhere like did he make it did he not anyway i think about that stuff quite a lot it's um Yeah. (laughs) However I do think like with your spider bite and with mosquitoes and wasps and stuff they actually do pose a threat. So you know when people are scared like I'm not scared of wasps like I don't really want one sitting on me but I'm not scared of them but people you know freak out when a wasp comes by. But it's kind of justified because it can actually sting you and if someone's had a bad sting in the past it's understandable. The same with mosquitoes like I they attack me as well and the spider bite is quite a traumatic experience. That hole in your arm was gigantic. that <laughs> was like intense. So it's kind of like a natural instinct to kill animals, I suppose, if they're going to attack you. Because, you know, if any animal was going to attack you, you'd kill them to save yourself. Yeah. Surely. Yeah, true. Yeah. Whether you're vegan or not. So it's the same with insects, I guess. You know, and like even mosquitoes carry malaria. So you never know feel like they must have some sort of conscious. I mean, look at bees. Like, they're insane, the amount of work that they do. Yeah. Like, they're busy. Yeah. (laughs) They've got, and ants as well. Oh, my God. Ants are absolute geniuses. Like, the things that they do, like, they'll create a big line of ants just so one of their little friends at the bottom can climb up them. Like, they've got all of these, like, protocols in in place in case something goes wrong they can carry like how many times their body weight they're like one of the strongest animals for their body weight it's insane
1: oh there's there's all these networks of like going on around us that we don't like fully appreciate how remarkable it is like even like this isn't insects anymore but it's our dirty ingredient like mushrooms like fungal networks Like are freaking remarkable how they operate, like the signals Mm -hmm. that are getting sent through them. And it's just this whole world, subterranean world that's going on. Like it's absolutely astonishing, like how intelligent fungi
0: are. It's the same with trees as well. So did you know that trees, when they disperse their seeds and their little saplings grow, they actually communicate under the earth to other trees? Like trees are constantly communicating with each other, and trees can send nutrients towards other trees to help them grow if they're like not growing to optimum level, and they they send extra nutrients to their own saplings than other trees. Yeah, (laughs) how insane is that? So there's this mad network. If you're ever in a forest. If you could see the network underneath your feet, it is insane. And I always think about this when I'm walking through a field or a forest. Imagine how many bugs are around you. That would probably freak a lot of people out if you really don't like bugs. But the amount of bugs and wildlife that absolutely encircle you at any one moment is probably insane. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely insane. Like, we do not know how much power they have. Like, if all insects died, they'll be us. They'll be us gone. hmm. So I think we should save them all, including the little ants and the wasps. Yeah. Mosquitoes I'm on the fence with. <laughs> but yes, just to wrap up this point. So if you're looking at the definition of veganism by the vegan society, it talks about, you know, living a life which excludes as far as possible and practical all forms of exploitation and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. So the really important part of that is as far as is possible and practical. So I think when you're considering the harvesting of fruits and vegetables and the animals that are killed in that, it's sometimes just not possible to avoid this type of thing. And you know, it's really, really hard. The only way you can really avoid it is if you have, grow all of your own food, which for most people, is pretty much unattainable in today's society. So as we were talking about before, the only real way that you can eat completely ethically would be to grow your own food and knowing that there are no pesticides are used and no animals are killed during production of your food whilst it's being grown. And this is something that I would love to do <laughs> I would love to but most of the time it's just not possible and doesn't fit with our day-to-day lifestyles another thing that we talked about a little bit when we we're talking about mushrooms is the foraging of food so this is something I really want to learn more about I've seen a lot of people recently and maybe this is just I don't know if it's just the, the people that I'm following online and stuff but I've seen so many people foraging for their food and I've actually got a couple of books. There's one called Home and Happiness and there's one called Health and Beauty Botanical Handbooks by Pip Waller. And she has all of these different homemade recipes for everything from deodorant to like homemade bleach for your toilet to beauty products. You've got like lipsticks that there's pages and pages, like hundreds of pages of all these recipes And everything in those can be foraged for like all the ingredients. And I think that is amazing. It'd be something I'd love to do. And actually, a few months ago, I was at this gig and this guy was playing at it. I actually sent you a video of this, Rachel. I don't know if you remember, but he was talking about composting toilets. He was singing about composting toilets. Yeah, And And he has a book that uh, is all about foraging and he was so passionate about how we need to forage more and we don't understand how much food is at our fingertips but of course we are drawn away from that side of it because obviously the big industries want us to buy as much as we possibly can so have you ever foraged rachel i i haven't foraged but um it's Mm. something that i
1: wanted to do because i was part of this um telegram group in ibiza called mike's hikes Um, where groups of people met up Mike being the leader each week to go on hikes together and sometimes they would do foraging ones and it was something I kept on wanting to do but I never managed to organise it properly but I definitely would be interested in that and I also would love to grow my own food as well Um, but there's other methods of like sustainability and um, eating as ethically as possible like dumpster diving is becoming more and more popular Um, when we visited um, our friends in Eindhoven—they'd made us these like banana um, cupcakes through in vegan, obviously, um, through entirely like salvaged ingredients that they found in a dumpster outside a supermarket, which I think was really cool. So all of that would have just been thrown away, um, and it's quite a big movement now where people are refusing to like accept that supermarkets throw so much food away that's actually otherwise edible. Um, so yeah, eco-warriors out there, I salute you if you do that, it's something I'd like to try. And also like zero waste cookery is something that's really becoming more and more popular. And there's like things with like vegan food you can do, like with vegan food we don't have that much waste really, like we don't really have like bones and I don't know, for some reason I feel like it would be different to a normal diet but there's still actually a lot you can do, so like all oh, your like veg scraps you can like keep and you can like make stock out of like broth that you can use for soups and other dishes. Um, And you can also like things like banana peel, there's this recipe that I really want to try where they shred apart um, the banana peel and make this kind of like pulled pork, barbecue pulled pork dish with it. And it's meant to be like a really similar texture. And then obviously you can just make like a really like healthy um, compost in general with like your organic scraps from your fruits and veggies and use that to fertilize your vegetable patch in your garden. So um, there is methods to be as ethical as possible. And of course just to mention like eating um, seasonably and eating locally, um, these are every little helps and these do cut out kind of transportation of your your veggies around the world. And um, we've mentioned this before in previous episodes like if we talk about scale, it's still far more sustainable and ethical to get avocados imported from across the world than to eat locally produced beef, for example. But if you really want to make as little impact as possible and you're fully vegan, then you could try to eat local produce um, and seasonable produce as much as possible and you'd get the most nutrients out of it that way too, which is always good. Keep the doctor away. I have a lot of opinions on what you just
0: said. All of it. I have a lot of opinions. All right, tell, <laughs> tell me your opinions. That was my next question. <laughs> First of all, the dumpster diving thing. Is this like a European, I can't imagine people really doing that, to be honest. Is this a, like a European thing going on? Or have you heard of other people doing it in the UK or? I, th- I think people do it in the UK too, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I actually have a friend who worked in Greggs. Now, I don't know if this is just over the pandemic or if it is all the time. But at the end of the shift, they weren't allowed to take home any of the stuff that was left over. So she said there was bags and bags like bin bags full of food that was just literally thrown in the bin she said that was literally one of the biggest reasons she stopped working there because she just couldn't deal with the amount of waste it was insanity like this is a place where there's literally outside it there's people on the street you know what i mean living on the street and they're throwing out these masses of food it was the same as when i worked in different restaurants like Mm -hmm. They used to throw out, you know, people would have an event and there would be all these sandwiches and they would just throw them on the bin afterwards. And even just, it used to just drive me crazy when serving a table and they would leave loads of food on their plate and you're just throwing it in the bin. And then by the end of the shift, there's like two full, big, massive bags of food. And that's just your shift. There's all the other shifts before that. There's the breakfast shift and there's the lunch shift. So it's absolute insanity the amount of food that we waste in general. I mean I've never really had a problem with this because I just ate everything like I never leave anything on my plate I, I've never done that I don't know I'm just a love food but it's just it's really really hard to see but I I just I don't know how how easy is it to search in dumpsters I suppose if, if I'm saying dumpster I feel like that's a very American term the bin how easy it is, is it to search in the bin and actually find good stuff? Or maybe there's certain bins, for example, the Greggs bin, that people know that all that stuff's being thrown out in. I don't know. But also with the zero waste cookery, I would love to make my own broth. The only thing that puts me off that is how long it takes. Like it takes hours and hours. Yeah, So it's hours. Ca- the way yeah. I think about this, now I'm not living in my own house at the minute, so maybe I feel different by this. But electric... <laughs> the cost of living is going up people do you know what I mean that's what literally what I think about like having the the cooker on for like 4 or 5 hours just seems absurd.
1: Well just make make a little fire outside <laughs> put it on the fire. You could do no, outside like, for if 5 If you had a garden that's, I would literally like I can't wait to be able to like have a little like fire pit where I cook a lot of meals outside that would be so nice and then you're not using
0: anything other than nature's resources that would be that'd be great that'd be great maybe one day i'll have a wee fire in the garden to make my broth. that sounds like a great life
1: (laughs) it actually does we laugh about it but i'm literally i cannot wait for that day i'm pining for that day
0: don't say can't wait that's wishing your life away true that's very true i I don't like that term yeah i know you said that anyway back to the point um banana peels so i've seen this maybe it's the exact same video it's one of these instagrammers who is he, he's called something like no waste joe or something that's not his name but yeah he uses banana peel. he's used that and i just i want you to try it and tell me how it goes yeah because <laughs> i just can't imagine eating a banana peel i can't imagine it oh that doesn't put me off hats off if it works yeah hats off why is so that, I am intrigued.
1: Why is that any stranger than eating like pork crackling, for example? Well, I don't eat pork crackling, so. <laughs> no, I know. No, this is a bad argument to make with you. Let's pre- <laughs> Let's pretend you're a meat eater. <laughs> but people will say things like that, like banana peel? You can't eat that. Or like the skin of a kiwi. I don't eat it myself, but I know people that do. I do. Like, that's so strange. I hate the skin of a kiwi. Why is that strange?
0: It's literally a plant, yes. whereas other people are eating the skin of a pig. Well, it's that's extra crispy. Speaking of pork crackling, so when I worked in the foresters in Portobello, they used to make their own pork crackling and they used to just, this was disgusting. So you're meant to have like a dehydrator, right? Which dries out the skin of the pig and turns it into that crunchy, I actually don't even think I've ever tried pork crackling. But anyway, so they didn't have a dehydrator. So they used to just leave the pig skin under the lamps. Like it was an open kitchen. Keep this in mind, an open kitchen. (laughs) So everyone could see all this pig skin just sitting across the pass. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I always find it so weird. And at this point, I actually ate meat. It was actually during that time that I went vegan. So maybe that was part of the reason. Maybe. I just couldn't believe it that they'd just leave pigskin just sitting out there for everyone to see. And then people would order and I'd be like, mm, would, what is going on? This is so weird. So no to the, the pork crackling. Absolutely.
1: Alrighty then. So we've got to the conclusion of our episode. Uh, milk my almonds, baby. Um, and in this episode, we have been talking about Um, the droughts in California, um, and is almond milk causing devastation and other events, speciesism and harvesting and is harvesting humane and how to eat most ethically. And the question that we've been focusing on is, can anyone really consider themselves vegan?
0: What do you think, Kerry? So yes, I think people can consider themselves vegan. I think people always try to debunk veganism through arguments against the production of crops and various forms, but reality is that a lot of the crops that are farmed are actually farmed for animal feed. So that's just an absolute moot point. And then further to this, the animals that are killed in these ways are absolutely not intentional and don't evoke years of suffering. So I think it's really unfair to use that argument against vegans when all vegans are trying to do is to stop the suffering. I guess at the end of the day, everyone can make their own decisions. If it doesn't feel right to consume almonds because you know about the droughts and you know about the the harming of bees, then you absolutely don't have to. But I think it's important to remember that the goal of veganism is to reduce the suffering and to really nitpick. If you nitpicked on everything, I don't think at the end of the day, you'd really be able to eat very much and you need to survive to spread the vegan message. (laughs) So, you know, do what you can, but it's not possible to do absolutely everything perfectly ever. And that's in any facet of life, by the way. What do you think?
1: (laughs) I... I really agree with what you've said, um, and I would probably just repeat you a lot. But um, I just think it's it's all about doing as much as we as we can to make the best choices that feel right for us, considering the information that's available. And I mentioned it before; like I personally have reduced my consumption of almonds now that I've learned more and more about the industry. Um, and I'm sure if I learn more about other um, plant foods. I might reduce my consumption of those if I realise that they're quite destructive in their produ- in their processing and production but ultimately I think veganism is the most ethical diet you can follow and um, it's inevitable that there's going to be some harm involved in anything that we eat um, because harvesting, pulling vegetables and fruits out of land is inherently a little bit damaging but I just think that vegans are still in the right boat ultimately and... Um, We can just be reflective with information as it comes our way.
0: Absolutely. And if you can, give growing your own food a go or foraging your own food. It can be really, I haven't foraged yet, but I've eaten homegrown food and it can be really, really satisfying and very nutritional.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: okay well
1: thank you for listening to another episode of dirty vegetables um we'd love to know what you guys think and what are your opinions with the destruction when it comes to harvesting some fruits and veggies do you think anyone can be 100% vegan um, let us know you can send us an email to dirtyvegetables with a z at gmail.com or you can send us a message on instagram dirtyvegetables and also head over to our website where you can find our show notes where we've got all the sources for this episode and all of our other episodes along with lots of other vegan goodies but thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you next time
0: Bye bye thanks guys see you later